Let's continue to talk about the challenge of the Lord to us as followers of Christ, as families, as a church family. Turn with me to Psalm 71. Psalm 71, starting at verse 17. The psalmist says, O God, you have taught me from my earliest childhood and constantly tell others about the wonderful things you do. Here's the challenge. Now that I am old and gray, do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. Again, we see running through the thread of every passage of the last few weeks that God has challenged us to know him, to know him in his grace, to know him in the life that he has to offer us, to know him in his power, and then to live in such a way that we can pass on a faith legacy to the next generation and coming generations. This is awesome. And knowing that this is the challenge, I just want to come back to three defining moments and conclude with a defining moment. The first defining moment is this. God made us. God created the family. The family is not a cultural idea. It's not an arbitrary idea. The family is not just some way to pass on the DNA in the gene pool, no, God created the family. If you believe that, say a strong yes. God created the family. It's amazing. When you have a baby, you're anticipating, you can't wait, even though you don't know what that baby will look like. When that baby is born, you say, that's the most beautiful baby God ever created, even though it looks like every other baby God has ever created. At least I think so. Uh, And so this baby can't talk. This baby is there and must be cared for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you've got to discern exactly what the baby is needing. And and when the the baby can finally talk, it, it may often get to the words of no or more. And as the baby grows up, And then becomes a child and then starts entering those teen years. God decided to let them go through stuff called puberty. Where hormones go crazy. But then you walk them through that and and they become these incredible, beautiful, mature adults. Now able to contribute back to the family. But God set it up so that by the time they have this great character, maturity and beauty, they leave the house. So it's very interesting. I don't know what your perspective of the family is. But I would say, as one man said, the minute his baby was born, it seemed to be such an expression of God's grace. It was like grace incarnate. It was life. It was amazing. And here this baby that could not take care of himself was provided for in every single need by another, had done nothing to earn that There was just a love there that wanted to provide yet another expression of God's grace and love toward us. When that baby cracked the first smile, the parent was overwhelmed. When the baby spoke the first words, the parent was left speechless. What an expression of God's grace because God created the family. And as a family would be strong and just work through the seasons of life and there would be this 
this love between husband and wife and parent and children and through the seasons of life, that would be such an, a powerful witness to people who don't even know Jesus so that one day when the Holy Spirit started knocking on the door of their heart and introducing God as a father and inviting them to become a son or a daughter in the family of God, that the witness they have seen through earthly families would have been such an expression of grace, such an expression of the love of God, that that decision to come and accept God as father and to become part of a family where you have brothers and sisters because you are a son or a daughter would just be something you would embrace. But what an attack on the family the enemy has wrought. See, that, that's like the original plan that we would all be functional and healthy and perfect and, and it would just be a, the clearest description to a watching world of who Christ is. Now when you even mention the word family, it, people want to know what exactly are you talking about? And some could even feel like, I wonder if I am going to be part of this message or part of this talk. Am I part of this organization? And am I, can I be part of this gathering because... Because there's a uniqueness in what has happened in my life, in family life. And I think we just ought to hit these things straight up and head on. And just start with this fact that God created the family. That it is not just some idea that the culture came up with. But it's a divinely ordained idea from the heart of God, created by God. It is a reflection of the very character of God because Paul said... To all the families of heaven and on earth. Families who derive their name from God the Father. All this family language is used to identify God. The character and nature of God. Who we are in God. What we are as the church of the living God. A very manifestation of his kingdom. An expression of his grace. That was like it. That, that was a plan of God. Before he even instituted the church. He instituted the family. But the second defining moment was that sin entered the family. First defining moment is that God created the family. Secondly, or the first husband, the first wife, the first family committed the first sin. And the impact of that first sin shows up immediately in the context of family because Adam, when confronted, blamed his wife. And Eve blamed the devil. And you see conflict. And you see the struggle. And you see sin entering into every human heart as a result of the fall of man in the garden. God created the family. But sin entered the family. And when you study Genesis, what you find is a story not of nations or kingdoms, armies or governments... Genesis is a story of families. And if you're saying, well, I wish our family could be this awesome witness, but quite honestly, we're struggling. We have issues. A lot of imperfection, a lot of challenges. Hey, we all do. And if you read back through Genesis, you'll find some very interesting things when it comes to the family and the story of the family because they were troubled. They were dysfunctional. They were far from perfect. I mean, you can, you can start with 
Cain and Abel. I mean, there's a good place to start, right? I mean, these guys never, ever could get along. I mean, they were brothers, but they couldn't get along with each other. Bring, let's just take Abraham. He lied on two occasions saying that his wife was actually his sister. He then has sex with his wife's maid and, and they have a son and he abandons both of them. Now track his story and just start with Isaac, the son he had by Sarah. And Isaac and his wife, they play favorites with their two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, with the help of his mother, deceives his dad and cheats his brother out of his birthright. And then his brother Esau chases him down, wants to kill him. Are you feeling any better? So then Jacob marries two women has children with both of them and with both of their servants, and he so favors one of his sons that it so embitters the sons who feel disfavored that they take out the chosen one and they throw him in a hole. They take his coat, put animal blood on the coat, go back and tell his dad he's been killed Go back to the deep, dark hole sometime later. Get Joseph out and sell him into slavery. And they keep the whole thing covered up for years. All right, I'm feeling a little better. The, this is just kind of like halfway into the unfolding stories. And it is precisely from these families that God continued to work and to keep his dream of redeeming people and reconciling families so that we still could be a city that was set on a hill, a light of the world, the salt of the earth, so that all people would know that Christ, he is God. There's never been some golden age of the family because families have always been marred by sin. Families are made up of little sinners who become big sinners and apart from Christ, we have no hope. So... I guess one clear application is that when it comes to our church, we can't ever forget why we're here. We are here so marred, messed up, broken, hurting, dysfunctional people can come into this place and sense that they are welcome and they're invited to experience God. That we can't help them, we can stand with them, we can be friends to them, We are willing to share our story, but only the grace of God can change them. Only the power of God can reconcile them. We'd like to be God, but we we just can't be God. It's like the little boy whose teacher said, Okay, I'm going to try to communicate to you all creation. She brought a ladder to the classroom. She looked at this little boy said, You climb the ladder. Here's your flashlight. When I give you the signal, you turn on the light. The signal is this, and God created light. When I say, and God created light, turn on the flashlight. He said, it would seem to me that I'm going to get to play God today. And she goes, well, actually, that's right. You're you're playing God. He said, nope, I am not in the mood to play God today. (laughs) He just couldn't pull it off. As much as we like to pull it off and climb the ladder and turn on the light of all wisdom and all perfection and all power, we can't do it, but God 
can. And what we want to do is make sure that we maintain an atmosphere that welcomes whosoever will, no matter background, sin, or, or problems, and say there is hope in God. There is a plan in the Word of God. There's a bunch of people who will support you in giving your heart to God and working the plan that God has for you. I'm very, very passionate that people don't drive up and down 101st and 129th, look over at this building, look at the cars on the lot on a given Sunday, and perhaps they would be driving by when like the group at 9 is leaving and the group at 1030 is coming in, and they would look over and see all of us and say, look at those people. Look at the cars they drive. Look at the clothes they wear. Look at the building they're going into. They are a bunch of people that have it all together. They have no clue what I've been through. Therefore, I could never connect with them. The devil would love for there to become some kind of messed up shadow message sent out of this church. And the way people drive by and look over at us and say, you know what? Those are people who know what it is to be saved out of something. They know what it is to be brought out of some difficulty, pain, and brokenness into the healing, transforming power of Jesus And I can connect with them. The way that happens is that we don't forget where we were before Christ found us. And we are not ashamed to tell that story and go public. But for the grace of God, we can't imagine where we would be. And that keeps an atmosphere that says, so you've been touched by sin. We have to. And we'll find God's grace together. Maybe a good way to help us. Is for me to just go over a, a whole series of things. Some of these things have affected you directly or a family member. And at the end of going through this list, I'll just say, okay, if anyone or an aspect of what I've said has touched you, just raise your hand and we're gonna have a we're gonna have a show of hands. My hand will be the first to go up because some of these things have affected me or my family. Let me go over a list. If you've ever had children who think there is no God, fighting with spiritual doubt. If you or a family member has ever felt real rejection, low self-esteem. If you or a family member has been impacted by drinking problems, drug problems, or moral problems. If you or a family member has been deeply wounded by angry words, Influenced by bitterness from a broken heart. If you are a family member has experienced vocational failure, financial failure. If at times you have come to church but you're the only one, the only adults coming to church, your spouse won't come to church. And at times you've struggled wondering if you should go, if you really fit in. If as a young person, you just felt like you don't have what it takes. Quite honestly, you felt like a loser at times. You've been affected by divorce or betrayal, pornography, sexual addiction. If you as a parent feel like a failure because you've got a son or a daughter that's far from God. If as a son or a daughter, you feel like a failure because you've got a parent that you just... Had never been able to please. 
I'll just stop right here. If in any one of these areas or an aspect of this has affected you or your family, why don't you just raise your hand? Mine's up. And just look around. Look around. This is who we are. It's who we are. Regardless car we drive, clothes we wear, this building we come into, we are people who have been impacted and affected by sin. And we have discovered and continue to discover that in the grace of God, there's power to overcome. That's who we are. We're learning that he is the one who heals broken hearts, the deepest pain, allows us to find in God the deepest sense of peace, even in the midst of a lot of chaos. He's a real-world God, and he's forging in us a real-world faith. And that is exactly what we want this community to know. Driving in early this morning, I heard a song by Guy Penrod, and one of the phrases, it just so stayed with me. It says this, saints have a past. The song is about this man who's, who's this godly man who's now speaking back to him truth, and he says, don't ever forget that saints have a past and sinners have a future. That's awesome. Ephesians, Paul says, by the grace of God, we're all called saints. And that's, a, that's quite a, a name. It, 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 there's reverence attached to that. I'm telling you, you get saved today, and the Bible would give one description of you as being that of a saint. Saints have a past. We just raised our hands that saints have a past. And sinners, by the grace of God, have a future. And if that can be the atmosphere, this will be, it'll continue to be a a place of healing, a place of hope, like an oasis. It'll be a refuge. It'll It'll be like a magnet. And people will drive into our parking lot going, I don't know why I'm here, but I feel to be here. When people connect with you and your story, they will come because they connect with you. And they connect with your story. You see, defining moment number one is that God created the family. Defining moment number two is that sin entered the family. Here's defining moment number three. Jesus. Praise God. That's good news right there. And we don't have to say anymore, just Jesus. Jesus. God came to earth. Born as a baby in a family. Study his family. It's interesting, the relationship. Jesus had a family. Ultimately, Jesus dies on the cross and he rises again. By the way, sidebar, can you imagine Jesus being your brother? (laughs) He dies on a cross. He rises again. And he offers salvation to the world so that Anyone who gets saved can become a son, a daughter, part of a family with brothers and sisters. And all the way through the New Testament, as the church is birthed and grows, there are these reminders. 
Don't let issues of class or color or culture, don't let anything be a wall of divide. You've been brought near by the blood, and the blood of the Lamb has broken down that wall of divide. We're just one big family of God. One day we'll be in heaven and we'll worship with people from every kindred nation and tongue. That the redeemed of the Lord, the church of the living God, it all started in a garden and sin entered that garden. And it's interesting, when Jesus rises from the dead and he goes and speaks to Mary, where are they? They are in a garden. It's like everything that we lost in a garden, you see being reestablished in the resurrected Christ in a garden. But by the time you get to heaven, there's not a garden, there's a city because a garden can't hold all of the people that are going to be redeemed by the grace of God. That's why we're headed to a city whose builder and maker is God, the family of God. Jesus has set up these defining moments. And so I guess this would be the concluding defining moment. It is this. Maybe this is your day to experience the greatest most powerful influence known to man and that is the grace of God saving a sinner washing them and bringing them into his family out of sin out of the past and all of its issues into a new day a fresh start a new beginning where you are cheered on where you are received and welcomed where you are given this new life. Jesus was amazing in how intentional he was. Whether it was Zacchaeus, a man that society really uh, struggled with because he was an evil man. And, and Jesus s- just sets in motion an encounter, and then he goes to his home, revolutionizes his life. And you see Jesus intentionally going to this cemetery where there's a young man who, who is just so possessed of the enemy, of darkness, of demons, of the devil, which you know is, is the last thing his parents ever hoped for him. And there he is in that kind of a condition. And Jesus intentionally went and set up a defining moment and changed his life forever. A woman who was in Samaria... She had gone to draw water. She went at a time of day where there wouldn't be any other people because she didn't want to encounter other people. And Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria. His followers said, we don't need to go through Samaria. He said, no, I must go through Samaria because he had set up a defining moment. And he says to this lady who had been married five times and was living with a guy who was not her husband, do you want to drink living water? And and her life was revolutionized because Jesus entered the story and set up a defining moment. Family, God's idea. Sin entered and there was all of this devastation, destruction, and dysfunction. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, gave us his son. Enter Jesus. And Jesus sets up defining moments to reveal to you he's the hope, the help you've been looking for. And I believe right now is that moment. Here in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to open your heart to that kind of grace. But let me talk, first of all, to those of us who know what it is to experience this grace. 
And, and I want to make sure you leave here with the message reemphasized that the whole idea is that we would pass this faith legacy on to the next generation. There's something interesting happening in the church world right now. People who study churches will say of a church like this, it's been around for a long time, it's aging, and at some point it'll kind of just surf to the beach. So a lot of young, passionate pastors are going into communities and they plant churches... And it's all young people. I have no problem with church planting. I hope that we can always support, as we have, church planters. But I want to tell you what is very clear to me. We are not to ever say we're going to reach young people only. Because the Bible is very clear that you've got to make sure that the gospel goes to the next generation. And even the passage we read today shows that there is an incredible need and place for the wisdom and the spiritual story of those who have been on the journey for many years. It even identified them, now that I'm old and gray, Lord, let me pass on this to the new generation. And so what I love about this church is that we have a great number of senior adults who love young people. That's awesome. And I, I, I only want that cultivated because that is, this can be a church that is a picture of the way God said, do it. You can see now with God's plan, he, he created the family, then he created the church. And if the two can work together, it can change the world. So what did the devil do? He attacked the family and continues to attack. The family is under attack today, maybe as never before. At the same time, the church is under attack. And within the church, where we need each other, he does things to try and divide us. Where he's got the generations within a church competing with each other and complaining about each other. I'm telling you, there's something special here. When you have a membership where you have young adults all the way to senior adults and you have a celebration in the atmosphere, there's something special and we've got to steward this moment to say, God, give us the new generation, the next generation. But listen, seniors, we need you now. We need you now. We need the wisdom. We need the influence. We need the story. Your story of experiencing the power of God. Here's the deal. Many people that we reach in coming months and years will have no other adult influence in their life that has a spiritual heritage. Somebody has to step up and say, I'll disciple that person. It was always the plan of God. Just like this person in the Psalms, I will pass on the story. I will pass on this influence. I will be part of this combinational power of the family and the church. I'm going to announce some things in coming weeks that have been on my heart for over a year of things I think we can do as a church to, to better connect as a church and a family and to better uh, just synergize the generational influence that's in this church because it's quite amazing. Like right now, 
in one of these rooms just behind this wall, there are 9th through 12th graders, probably 50 or 60 of them. Across the hall, 6th to 8th graders are meeting. There's probably 80 or 90 of them. And I want to tell you, that's, we've got to see that if we can put it on their hearts who God is. And some of them have attended the early service, and some will come in at 12 o'clock. I, I tell you, that this place needs to just be an expression of the life of Jesus, no matter who we are, what our age is, and we need each other, we cheer each other on. There should be cultivated in any church an incredible respect and appreciation in the young people for those who are senior adults. Yeah, I'm finding that young people can be far more narrow in their perspective than senior adults have ever been. And if we can be the church that just breaks all of that down to where we can, can appreciate, cherish each other, be in unity, it can catalyze something that can see a harvest of souls. I really don't want to be known in this community by our music style, by the fact that we reach a certain demographic, or by what we have on a platform. I want to be known in this community as a church that loves the generations, that is raising up people, that has that has literally released the generations to pour into each other. And there's something so special that when the message gets out there, it's that if you need help, go there. If you need help, go there. If you need help, go there. Just, just drive on the lot. Walk in the building. Just get there because it's that profound. It is that powerful. Those people are loving God and loving each other. That is like a magnet of grace. Well, saints have a past, so let's tell our story. God has brought us out. Sinners have a future because he's able to save to the uttermost those who come to him in sincerity and honesty. And he sets up defining moments. Maybe you'd say, okay, so God created me, but sin has really messed me up. I know about those two defining moments. Here's the next one, Jesus. Now, Jesus enters your life, your story, and he is about to write a whole new chapter, a whole new volume, and it contains legacies, generations that tie back to this choice. Defining moment. Let's pray.